Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Inspired Table podcast. I'm your host Jordana Levine and today we are back to our regular activity of featuring inspirational folk talking about inspirational things. Today I am joined by Genoa Van Keekum. Now Genoa was one of those people that I kept seeing on all my friends Instagram feeds and I was like who the hell is this dude? And then mutual friend of ours Holly as a party brought him along to a Lunar Nights event and I met him and I thought this guy is cool I'm gonna get him on the podcast. So for uh, those of you who aren't familiar with Genoa's work. He is a Vedic meditation teacher and speaker and he's known for his refreshing approach to all things mind, body and soul. Having followed a pathway through hospitality management, several uni degrees, alcohol sales and a tendency towards skepticism, his words not mine, Genoa brings a raw and relevant perspective to his work. I thoroughly enjoyed having this conversation with Genoa. In this interview, Genoa and I discuss Vedic meditation specifically, which is the type of meditation that he teaches. We have a look at the stigma around not just meditation, but spirituality in general, um, especially when it comes to men and masculinity. We have a look at some of the benefits that he first experienced when he started learning meditation um, and what he teaches to his students now. And we also have a deep dive into Genoa's daily practices, which is one of my favorite things to ask people about. Um, and we talk about this idea of working less to achieve more, which I don't know about you guys, but that is something that I definitely want to sign up for when it comes to work. As always, if you enjoy this interview, take a screenshot of it on your phone and post it to Instagram stories. You can tag myself at Jordana Levine and tag Genoa at Genoa Van Keekum. about this is that I actually don't know much about you except that you're friends with a whole bunch of my friends so you must be an <laughs> you must be an A-OK dude um <laughs> why don't you tell me a little bit about who you are both personally and professionally however that comes out for you who I am interesting yeah. so um I am I originally was probably someone who in terms of you know, spirituality and uh, meditation was probably extremely against and so, so not open to anything that looked like that. So it's been a really interesting little evolution, I suppose, from um, how blinkered, I suppose, I was um, and set in my ways to, to sort of where I um, am now, um, but still sort of, I would say, pretty engaged uh, in the world, so it's not like I've sort of become this airy fairy woo woo hippie now. Yeah. Um, but um, when I was, I mean, younger, sort of growing up, it was all I was very much a, you know, a guy's guy. It was about footy, picking up girls, partying, whatever else. And um, I was sort of my old man was always a bit of a hippie, and so I was exposed to a bit of this. I guess feel this sort of interesting concept of there's something more going on as opposed to what we just are exposed to in terms of, you know, our, um, you know, the social things of drinking and this and that. And there was, you know, something at a deeper level. So I was, I was, I was exposed to that, but I thought that was, I had an idea of spirituality being tied to religion or, mm. or cult cults on it, um, sort of groups. And for me, that was extremely, extremely unattractive and uncool. And yeah. so, I didn't give it the time of day and anything that looked like that, I'd 
very strongly push that and him away. And so it was very much not part of my life, really, to be honest. And so, um, but there was also, which I now look back on and realize, were, were things that I experienced as a, as a human being, which I thought were the norm. So also growing up, um, being the guy's guy, I thought it was also normal to be a guy and be anxious and nervous and almost to the point of wanting to be physically ill you know, before a big game of sport or before even a date or, or things like that. And that was just normal, right? And so you had to push through that to be a man, you know, to push through that and show that you've got it sorted and got it together. And so that's sort of how I traveled through life. Uh, but also with this underlying inkling, I suppose, that there was, I wasn't operating to my full potential, you know, and I was just like something, I don't know what that meant, but I felt like I could be giving more. Um, and so, you know, I went through, did a pretty standard um, course at, at uni, was a master's in commerce and studied a couple of degrees and spent a lot of time in hospitality, which was my big, big party phase. So that was, it was great fun and actually a really brilliant um, process for learning how to work with and, and deal with people and all sort of interesting scenarios. But that was a, a big part of my life. And then I moved to, so that was in Adelaide. So I actually grew up in Adelaide, a bit more regional-ish, I suppose, in a wine region, and then moved to, to Sydney and, and got stuck into the uh, the corporate world. So my first job was working, I was in a suit, stuck in an office working for an IT networking company, and, you know, the money was great, you know, I got to wear the fancy suit and blah, 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 and my mates were in corporate and finance, so it kind of fitted, um, but it didn't feel quite right, and it was a bit of luck that, and, you know, I, I kept in touch with a guy who employed me years ago in hospitality and he actually had launched an alcohol company which was looking to expand nationally and then I sort of left the corporate world to work for him which involved me basically working from home and he was just like, here are the brands, grow them in, in New South Wales. So I spent the next uh, few years doing that. Uh, I've been with that business for seven years uh, and then by, by quite funny because a lot of people – immediately now because I'm actually right now in the process of evolving away from that job so I've just resigned from that job to go oh, into wow. teaching full-time which is right now there's a lot going on juggling that handover and it's a bit of a just you know jumping in the deep end uh, but a lot of people when I would talk about meditation that I'm actually a teacher and then I'd talk about yeah I still actually work for an alcohol company as a, as a sales manager like they'd straight away question well, how does that how does that work how can you drink and still teach meditation it just it's you know a lot of people fight that's then that's a prime example of the stigma around meditation and yeah and spirituality and you know yoga teachers must be vegan and all, all of this sort of stuff is so it's it's quite interesting but the funny thing was that my one of my first clients through working for the alcohol company actually ended up becoming my friend and meditation teacher uh, and helped me on the path to then becoming a teacher so it's quite interesting how that sort of played out and uh and if it wasn't for that, I mean, I'm sure the universe would have given me a kick into that direction in some way anyway. Yeah. Uh, well, that was but, a clear channel through to you, right? Like that's such a kismet encounter, something like that. Because like you said, the spirituality coming through your dad didn't quite give you the channel that you needed. But coming through someone who was exactly like you or interested in similar things to you was the perfect way to introduce you into that world. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. beautiful. So, you did. So, what what did you do? You started doing a meditation course. Yeah. So it was her. So oh, her? Her, okay. her father um, owned uh, the restaurant, and he was this really cool. Like he was a chef, but he was like you know, uh, pretty hardcore. It was a, just a cool lad. He was in his sixties, and we used to catch up for coffee and talk business and this and that. And then I knew she was there as well, and she had her own PR company. Was uber successful and her, her partner used to own a, a vodka label and he was involved in sort of fashion brand and creative director. I was like, who are these people? This cool, <laughs> but they still drink and eat meat, but they seem to be operating at this high level. And then the meditation came out and like, oh, we meditate. And I was like, ah, oh. and they'll say just whatever about it. Like, yeah, we do it. And, it's, and he was like, the, the dad, um, he said one day, he goes, I just wish I'd learned this when I was younger. Mm. And that still stuck with me to this day, like six years later. Yeah. And that was the catalyst for me to go, I've got to look into this again. Um, and then I started researching a bit into, you know, high performers around the world and they all seem to have some kind of meditation involved in their routine and uh, lots of podcasts and then a bit of the science behind it. And then because me being naturally skeptical and I still learn to this day, 
having seen that science behind it, as well as the experience of seeing someone who was still real and, and seeing the benefits was sort of what got me across the line to finally learn. And that was just over five years ago that I actually learnt uh, the technique, which is uh, a Vedic uh, meditation uh, technique. Which yeah, is a man- beautiful. Okay, cool. I do want to dive into Vedic meditation specifically, but before we get there, mm. what do you think – I mean – I think with a lot of spiritual teachings, and I always feel kind of icky saying that word, but (laughs) there is the lack of people crossing that bridge, inverted commas, is because um, there's been such a um, kind of stigma around it for so long. What, Mm. What do you think part of that stigma is? Where do you think that came from? Why are people so adverse to something that seems to be enriching people's lives? Mm. So that's, it's part of it comes from because, I mean, with meditation or, or yoga, which meditation is a part of in its holistic sense, you, um, in its, I guess, in ancient times, all of these practices were aligned to a monastic style of life mm. right and that's and that was and that was fine but the way of living and the amount of stimulus we're exposed to back then is also extremely different uh to, to now yeah and so there was that natural connection that's what all these techniques um were created from and aligned with different sort of um religions or or you know the, some people might look at prayer as their form of meditation or you know looking to a higher power and so that naturally that connection was there and so we moved through a to a time now where that stuff is almost seen as a bit weird and woo woo and would not allow you to be engaged as much in the things that we enjoy so whether it's going out and being social and and, and drinking and it, al- it almost might um, put you in the category of a sort of a, a separated group which mm. is and naturally as human beings we like to be a part of you know, the things we enjoy and seen as cool and whatever else. So aligning with something that is a bit unknown and seen as a bit weird isn't um, necessarily that attractive to us. And so naturally where a lot of these techniques have stemmed through this ancient knowledge and through these monastic practices, that's where that comes from. And so, um, but the, the great thing about where we are now is that we've got this ancient, you know, techniques and now finally we are having the Western science, which has been actually you know, over five decades with the research now going into the impacts of different, again, the word spiritual. <laughs> I lose that term loosely even to you know, define what that even means to people. Yeah. Um, you know, practices that actually have a profound impact on our brain and nervous systems and our experience of life. And so what we need to do now is, is shift. Uh, it's about educating really. Yeah. Uh, and shift that stigma that yes, you can still, you know, practice uh, a technique that has some loose associations with ancient, um, ancient knowledge, and still be very much involved and engaged and relevant in the world as it is now, which yeah. is what we, we want to be. Well, I, yeah, I think I think the whole idea is that we need to be able to integrate those Mm. ancient teachings into the modern day life because we need it now more than ever because like you said you know we're hyper stimulated now and there's a lot more things that are stressing us out and keeping us away or disconnected from self yeah so I think it's so brilliant that I, I, no, no offense here, Genoa, at all, but normal people like you <laughs> can bring it into the mainstream, you know, because there has been such a divide for so long. Um, I always feel like, you know, I tend to say to people, oh, you know, it's, um, you know, it's really common now. Everyone's doing yoga and everyone's meditating and green smoothies aren't that weird anymore. But I still think that we are living in this like um, bubble, I guess, of the eastern suburbs of Sydney or Australia, at least. And it's not it's not catching on to the greater community just yet, mm. but it's not that far away. Do you kind of feel that as well? Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. Now, I mean, I speak to uh, – that's a big part of how and why I carry myself in the way I do. So I'm very open and honest about the fact that you might see me out having a drink and partying and having a good time and there's there's no um, separation between this um, fake 
facade of this purist meditation guy and then what I'm really doing in, in the back end. And so slowly but sh- and everyone has been exposed to meditation in a way. Everyone's like, oh, and there's something intrinsically uh, attractive and charming about this, something with this weird kind of thing that seems to be really helping people. And so everyone has kind of heard about it and is almost like, oh, maybe I should try it or you'd be surprised how many people have actually have dabbled um, in some kind of form of, of meditation. I think we're finally getting to a point where the manifestations of a, of a nervous system that is, you know, under too much pressure uh, are looking like, you know, severe anxiety or negative thought patterns or, you know, lacking in creativity. And so people are finally coming to a point where it's like, all right, what I, you know, having, doing exercise and eating, you know, my meat and free veg isn't cutting it anymore. What else is there? Mm. And so it's definitely on this path uh, to where I think everyone will be, you know, give us 10 years, it'll be a staple. Um, it'll be, and that's what uh, I try to work towards is, you know, I always say, you know, I want to be able to say to someone, yeah, you know, I'm having a coffee, going for a beer, meditating, you know, in the same sentence, I'm going to go yeah. to the gym. <laughs> if it's not, you're not some, you sort of whisper under your breath no. or you leave that little bit out um, and sort of normalize it. So it's yeah. definitely, it's definitely on the way up. Beautiful. So let's talk then about some of the impacts that you noticed, um, when you first started meditating that took you from, Oh, Hey, there's something in this to, I want to share this with other people. I want to teach this. So what, what kind of benefits did you start to notice, um, when you first, um, well, I guess sat down to practice Mm. meditation. So it was interesting. So the, the, the technique that I learned and that I teach is slightly different to most of the other techniques that tend to fall under the mindfulness banner. So this technique is more of a, it's a laundering process. So removing, allowing the body to release the buildup of stress and fatigue in our system. So at first, my experience was a bit of a, an emotional detox, I suppose. So actually, for me, it was fatigue. So I spent the first little period of like, all I've been doing is sitting here with my eyes closed, whispering this little mantra sound in my head, and I'm feeling this shift throughout my body. I'm like, what is going on here? Mm. And so I was like, that's pretty, you know, pretty high impact right there. And then after some time of allowing the body to remove that, uh, things started shifting in how I operated. So, for example, things like anxiety now are not even a thing for me. You know, if I feel a little bit of that sort of tickle in the stomach and that sort of tightness of the chest now, I almost have the ability now to feel it and almost smile at it, knowing that the fact that I am in a position that is maybe – you know, deemed by me out of my abilities means I'm in the realm of living and expansion and growing. And so uh, another, and that was, that's huge for, for me. And probably one of the biggest, still to this day, the biggest takeouts for me, which is based around my awareness. So consciousness, awareness is my awareness of how I operate. Mm. So what I mean by that is, is I would be in a social situation and someone would be carrying themselves in a certain way. They'd be, you know, saying something or doing something or pressuring people to drink, whatever it is. And I'd be like, Oh, how's that person? You know, it'd really trigger me. And I was like, it's just, how can they be carrying themselves that way? And I'd, and I'd be like, why does this annoy me so much? I'm like, cause that was me. It was yes. almost like we'd have a slap in the face to go. I was that person who had to be, had to have everyone else around me drinking as well or else I'd feel awkward or if I was in a conversation with someone and my drink was almost empty, I'd be like, all right, where's my next drink coming from? And I'd almost disengage from the conversation uh, or, or things like that or had a bit of a temper or people didn't align with my way of thinking. I was very dismissive. Um, and so the biggest, if we want to shift how we operate as a human being, one of the first key pieces of that is awareness. We, we only know what we know and if we don't realize these things, we can't. We find it really hard to shift. So one of the biggest pieces for me was having that awareness and almost a bit of a buffer between just reacting off the bat to now being able to respond and mm-hmm. go, oh, hang on a minute. Every I still do it sometimes. I still act like a dick because I'm still a human being, but <laughs> a lot less and I'm a lot more able to go, oh, whoops, there I go, and maybe you know have the ability to not judge myself for being an arsehole and, and try and shift for next time, maybe question why it was that I – did that thing or acted in that in that way? Mm. Uh, yes, there was some of the key and a bit of compassion for other people as well. I was pretty quick to judge and not very um, very good at allowing other people's opinion. I mean, I'd listen to them, but if they didn't agree with what I was thinking, I wasn't really. I'd find a way to squash that. And so, even my parents, I was like, 
so do you think I've changed? <laughs> <laughs> Can you please validate me? Because <laughs> often we say to people, because when we meditate, what happens after a while is you know, it becomes the new normal. So at first you feel some shifts going on and then you, almost, you normalize that experience. You're like, yeah. oh, it stopped working. And so I remember at one stage, so a great way to validate that often is to actually ask people close to him, so what do you think? And so I asked my parents, and my dad is like, oh, mate, he goes, I can, if I, didn't, if I told you something or said something that didn't align with your ways, it, was not a, it wasn't a pretty response. Mm. And mum saw the change in me so much to the point where she flew to Sydney just to learn to meditate. She's like, if you can do it, I'm doing this. Like, so it's, um, That's incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, a, that was a big sort of moment. She stuck to it, good on her, because she's like, wow. Um, in my, my little brother learned he wasn't really that into it either so he's and people close to me are naturally saying well you've shifted yeah uh, it's that it's, that's but the, you're uh, still the same person yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That's the, like, um, I'm still very much me just a better version of me I suppose I think self-awareness mm. is one of the biggest game changers in people when people can observe and have awareness of who they are and how they interact in the world it makes for um a much nicer person to be around Mm. Um, but also better connection with other people don't you think oh and that's the true that connection piece is something we don't we're all trying we're all that's one of the biggest underlying things as humans we're all looking for really is that connection and having awareness of how we operate and having you know compassion empathy towards the other people operate is going to allow for that um at a greater level yeah that's another big piece of that yeah so tell me then it's one thing to experience the benefits and you know get your family involved and and kind of see the improvement in yourself but at what point were you like hang on i think i want to make this my career Mm, so you know i've been meditating for about three or so three and a bit years and there's something in the back of mind that was like, oh, is there something in this? As in moving forward, and I was always attracted to um, my, my role being working for an alcohol company as a state manager was was fine, but there was no real. I didn't feel like I was having a, a real impact in a positive mm. way on people's lives. There was, and when I would talk to people and you know, have a real juicy, deep conversation, I feel like I may have had an impact. The feeling afterwards was amazing, you know, and I, I thought about studying psychology because my dad was also a counsellor. So there was something in that that sort of I liked. And it was a bit of a sliding doors moment where I was actually looking to uh, launch my own distillery. And I had a business plan and the business partners ready to go. And it was because I was I wanted to do something else, something that was mine and something of higher impact. And because alcohol and that industry is what I knew, that's what I was heading towards. And then it was my boss, <laughs> absolute legend, he goes, are you sure this is what you want to do? And he, he's like, just have a think about this for a minute. Um, and so I held off and in that little two week period where I held off, I saw this thing come up on Instagram from my teacher and friend who was offering, um, to be, become a meditation teacher, offering an 18 month sort of course. Mm. And I was like, and that just stood out to me. I was like, okay, so what is it in this? And I was looking around at other teachers and I was like, to be honest, had I have not by chance become friends with, um, with Jack and learn from her, I wouldn't have learnt meditation. And I was looking around at most other teachers out there, and I was like, to be honest, none of them I attracted to either, and would probably not have gone that step and, and learned. And I was like, well, this technique is profound. How do I get more people like me? I looked at my mates and said, how would I get them to meditate? Or well, maybe having someone like me meditating and being honest about it and still being out and having a good time and, you know, seeing those little subtle shifts in how I operate and how I experience life, maybe maybe I could encourage more people to meditate and just bring it more into the, the norm. Yeah, and beautiful. so, yeah, it was. I was like, and out the blue, I was like, fuck it, I'm doing it. And I just sort of just, just jumped in it and it's the best thing I've done. So, yeah, I've been teaching that for about a year and a half. Uh, and so that was uh, that was a sort of the shift that got me across to then decide, all right, maybe I – become a teacher yeah beautiful hey i want to ask you um and maybe this is a weird parallel that i'm making and it's not true so tell me or not first of all the jack that you speak of is this jack from the broad place yeah jack yeah jack okay lewis. so aside from jack lewis i feel like in the vedic meditation space at least in sydney it's very male dominated 
in terms of teachers. Do you have you noticed that, or is that just me? It is slightly. Um, having said that, in in the, the the last three groups that have gone through to become teachers, like I was in a group there was twelve or thirteen of us. I was the only male. Okay. In the in the next group there was another. There was only females, and mm. the third group again. There was only one male in a group of eight or so. Okay, interesting. So yeah, I definitely um, think there there are a lot of females out there teaching teaching as well. I yeah. I wonder though, in that observation that I made, do you feel like, and you'd you'd probably have a greater sense of this now that you've been teaching. Do you feel like the teachings of the Vedic tradition are more appealing to men because of perhaps the consistency and regularity of it like there's quite a few boundaries and parameters that are set within the practice i suppose i mean looking back now most of the the big name teachers throughout when it was becoming bigger throughout australia and and the u.s a lot of those leaders were male Mm. um so i think that there's becoming a bit of a bit of a shift in that so yeah i think Traditionally, there was a lot more male teachers and male personalities as the ones that everyone saw aligned to these practices. Um, I mean, and the, the idea is that there is a little bit of structure around the technique, but really, if anything, this probably technique is designed to be one of the most flexible uh, techniques that you can use. So, I mean, does that does – that, attract male, males more with that more structure and um, maybe. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It was a curiosity, not so much yeah. a statement. I just, um, I guess as a female in the, again, inverted commas, spiritual space, um, you know, I see a lot of women coming through a lot of the work that I do and a lot of the work that my female friends are doing um, and the space for the masculinity to be held in this space, um, you know, isn't as predominant. So when I see um, men turning to things more and more like meditation, it seems like um, an easier, or well, not easier, but like a more... Um, welcoming transition for them and I feel like from what I've observed and maybe it's just the people around me that Vedic meditation seems to be um an inviting path in for them perhaps I don't know Mm. well I guess it's it's uh because it's a lot more aligned to there's a big combination between the the ancient knowledge and um, Western science, mm. and that you know, seeing um, a lot of you know, there's a lot of sports people now, and and performers and people that we respect, you know, and for a lot of and practicing this style of, of meditation, and it's not too woo woo, and so you know, particularly as 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 men, and that whole piece around masculinity is another interesting thing that I think also our understanding of what it means to be a man is also shifting mm. and that means that maybe incorporating a technique like this is actually okay and it's actually going to help us you know, perform better and so I think that's also a, a piece that we're seeing more men practice this and so other men who'll be like oh maybe this isn't just a weird woo-woo-y you know female yoga spirituality thing mm. this is a you know I often talk about it as a performance technique um, so that also could be a reason why it's sort of becoming a bit more attractive for, for men to slowly come over. Yeah. We need to get it into the NRL, I think. Um, side note. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so tell me, this, this Vedic practice that you teach, um, I, I did a Vedic meditation course oh, years ago now. Um, and you know, it was 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the afternoon and I stuck to it for a few months and then, um, I found that really annoying having to do that (laughs) and I abandoned it. So tell me what are the benefits of the consistency of those 20 minutes in the morning and the afternoon? Right. So the way we sort of look at it is, um, this is helping the body to remove 
stress and fatigue that we store in our in our systems, right? So throughout our lives, every single thing we experience um, almost leaves like an imprint or is stored uh, in our bodies as chemical memories in the cells of our bodies and energetically. And so all this storage, I'll just use the word stress as, a, as the term for that, the storage of these stresses uh, put pressure on our nervous system. And so over time, um, this becomes so built up to the point where our bodies are experiencing um, symptoms of too much stress and fatigue um, on our body. So symptoms of this are things like, you know, anxiety or depression, negative thought patterns, um, insomnia, you know, temper, irritability, um, lack of creativity, you know, learning, um, problems with memory and, and learning. And so uh, it's coming to a point where I think it was something on the lines of, you know, even in one day, right, we, the amount of stimulus we're exposed to now, I believe, is equivalent to what we'd experience almost in a whole lifetime, like two to 300 years ago. And that's a lot. And so what, how does our body release and repair and recover from everything we experience, you know, everything from, you know, you wake up in the morning, you have your coffee, you're a little, you're a little bit hungover because you had too many drinks the night before and then you got a deadline, you see your boss, you get cut off in traffic, you're late for work, you get a parking fine, you drop your phone, you have a fight with your partner and then there's the 60,000 thoughts that go on on top of that and that's all recycling and piling on in our systems and so we go to bed at night and that is when our body is able to rest and repair and so the amount of rest and repair I suppose we get from going to sleep now isn't enough as to what we're putting into our systems and exposed to the amount of stimulus we're, we're, we're dealing with. So it's a bit of a, we, we're developing a, a lot of debt here. And so what this technique is about is about giving our bodies the opportunity to release more of that. So this technique, the Vedic-based um, technique, uh, is about using that mantra to de-excite the nervous system, which when this happens, the body is designed to release what it no longer needs, i.e. it's allowed to start resting and repairing and, I guess, laundering the stress, tension, and fatigue that we've piled up in our system. Mm. So, And then we go back into the day again the next day and pile more in again. And if we – so this practice isn't about, you know, I meditate for a week or just when I need it. This is about stabilizing the nervous system. So we do it day by day by day. So A – we are slowly releasing the built-up stress and fatigue from the past 30, 40, 50 years of our lives, plus increasing our adaptation energy. So that's our ability to deal with life and things without piling on more stress. Mm. So stress is not a thing. It's a perception of this thing. And so over time, and this is based on a mixture of you know, our genetics, a bit of trauma, social conditioning, beliefs from our parents. And now we look out into the world in a certain way. You have two different people look out to the same situation and one sees it as stressful, one sees it as an opportunity. And that's because of what the other they're both experienced throughout their lives. So by doing this daily practice, we are um, removing the barriers uh, to the expansion of our mind and our intellectual ability and also removing um, the things that are manifesting into um, these undesirable experiences of you know, anxiety and negative thoughts and, and all the rest. But it needs to be done consistently because then we stop and we pile in more of the next few days. Mm. Um, and so it's doing two things that it's releasing the old but also um, decreasing the amount of perceived stress. So things no longer seem quite as overwhelming or out of reach or you know we tend to spend a lot of our time in looking over the past of why this happened and if only this had happened and blah blah and then because of that our future is looking like this you know if only this, if this doesn't happen I'm going to feel like this or blah 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 and so all this suffering comes from looking at the past or you know speculating on the on the future and so by um, having a daily practice we are teaching our bodies to come back into the present moment. So meditation also cultivates um, a level of present moment awareness, which is another key, key piece um, in terms of uh, what meditation is, is part of as well. So there's, there's so much in it in terms of having this as just a daily practice. So for me, it's a non-negotiable now. I'll wake up in the morning, I'll brush my teeth and have a little routine and meditate. 
Like I wouldn't leave the house without brushing my teeth. I wouldn't leave the house without without meditating. You know, that's if we believe that much in exercising and eating well, and if we believe in the brain, then we should be doing some kind of practice to help us with our brains and nervous systems, which is what meditation is now um, pretty profoundly impactful uh, for. Yeah, that's such a good analogy, you know, like being so conscious of the cleanliness of your teeth, but being so conscious of the cleanliness of your mind. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. It's, like, it's literally like the gym for your mind, like yeah. going, you know, giving your, your brain a good clean and, and exercising daily. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk a little bit more about your daily routine. We kind of, we were talking about it before we started recording, but, um, you said that you have um, a practice that you like to, I guess, for lack of a better word, commit to every Mm -hmm. day. Can you run us through that? I'm fascinated by people's morning practices. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. So, um, I have this morning practice, but then I also have like daily and weekly the way I do things. So well, tell us look, all about it. Yes, yes. So I look at our, excuse me, our lives like you know, building a house. So and we have all these you know ideal um, experiences we want to have. So for me, I'm, I love having um, experiencing creativity and abundance and, and freedom and, and connection and and these sort of style of things. And I'm like, okay, so how do I cultivate that in my life? And so our brain and nervous system and the, the, the source of our thoughts and, uh, and whatnot is the foundation, right? That is like the, the key piece. So that's your meditation practice, which is the foundation, which is just always there. And then you look at uh, experiences or activities that can allow you to have more of those experiences. So um, the, the building and the, you know, the wood and the walls of the house are things like, okay, so I know that I want to increase my creativity and things like that so I am getting guitar and singing lessons and I'll make sure that at least you know even if it's 15 minutes a day I am doing an activity that allows me to have that experience um you know then I also know that I um, want to expand um and have expand my knowledge and, and learn and, and grow and so and have a bit of me time and that is my reading so you know in the morning I'll have a bit of me time before I start my day I'll have a coffee and read um and and read a book you know then there's also you know that connection and 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 abundance and so that involves me um having a bit of soul time which might be having a bottle of wine with a friend and you know making sure that if you look back at your week i look at all right i know these are the activities that do this for me am i am i doing them regularly because it's so common for us to go you know uh i want to experience all this this and this it's like well are you actually doing the things that are going to help you along that way and it's a cross training of all sorts of things. It's going to be different for everyone. So my morning is I love to get up before sunrise because the energy of being up before sunrise is mm. amazing. And so for me, it's around that sunrise wake up time where it's still beautiful and calm. Um, and then I'll get up, I'll literally wash my face. I'll scrape my tongue with the copper tongue scraper, which once you start, you'll never, ever stop. <laughs> and, then, and then I'll go to the toilet. It's gross, and, isn't it? What comes off your oh, tongue? Yeah. I <laughs> Scraping your tongue's gross. I said, you know what's gross is allowing that to stay. Leaving your- it there. <laughs> totally. Then, you know, swallowing it, they're like, oh, fair point. <laughs> so yeah. um, I'll scrape my tongue, then go back and meditate. So a big part of creating a fail-safe, re- creating a habit is, you know, you do your cue, your trigger, your behavior, and then your reward. So for me, it's morning, wake up. I won't even meditate even if I'm not supposed to. In the morning, because I'm so set in that routine now, I'll do it and I'll go back to bed meditate. Then I'll get up, have a shower, and go for a walk, and have my read my book, and have a have a coffee, and that's like my morning routine. So that's the ideal uh, scenario. And then if I then I'll get back, and then I'll do um, a little bit of work. So I'll work on whatever it is I'm doing, and then my gu- my guitar's always sitting there. You know, when you feel yourself, you start not be able to concentrate, and it's a bit you know you like start looking around, and you, you get that urge to. I'll, now I'm learning to put my phone away, so I'll mm. put it. In my room so I don't get you see a little Instagram thing come up or you get down the the, the, the rabbit warren of social media <laughs> and emails you really don't need to be answering to but you kind of feel like it feels good to show that you're responsive and all that sort of stuff and so I spend time where I'm now breaking it down to go right 25 to 30 minutes of attention on one project and then I'll stop and then I'll strum the guitar for a few minutes and then blah blah and I'm like, okay I'm done now and then I'll come back and do another little, little block of 25 or 30 minutes and you'll find those blocks will actually um, increase to 40 or an hour without without meaning to and so that's my rough morning activity from about 10 till 3 I like to have as my 
meeting random projects time. So I'm a bit of, I like a bit of consistency, but also like a bit of, let's see what happens. So between 10 and three is my random meetings or a coffee catch up or whatever else comes into the day or a bit of chore work or, you know, appointments. And then from three, and then in the afternoon, that's when I come back and it's like, that's the ideal time to do some exercise. So, you know, between sort of three to six or seven for me is that kind of 3.30 artists, a bit of, you know, lack of, um, motivation and energy so that's the time when I'll do things that like I'll go to the gym because I know I'll be sort of feeling a bit sluggish you know so I'll go to the gym and I'll come back and maybe play some more guitar uh, and then I'll go and start looking for you know what I'm going to cook for, for dinner that night and so that's my rough ideal you know it's that sort of three till about seven time is where I bring in those those activities that I know help whether it's like playing guitar or trying to draw again or practice my singing or catching up with a friend for, for a wine or for dinner or, um, you know, getting on the phone to mum or, or whatever that is. So that is my rough kind of daily thing. I love it. I love um, finding this like happy medium between um, consistency and fluidity because mm. I think for so- – and it's different for everybody, but I think – for a lot of people, um, it feels like, you know, if I've set, if I've set aside the time to do this, I have to stick with it. And, um, you know, like, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, you know, going to play the guitar for 20 minutes in between when I'm meant to be working in a three hour mm. block is going to decrease my productivity when it's like, you know what, it's probably going to help your productivity. Yeah. To walk away mm. from it. So I, I love that you have that self-awareness of that because I think that's what keeps people stuck for so long. I'm pretty much the same. Like I'll work between the hours of maybe seven in the morning mm-hmm. until three in the afternoon because I know they're my productive hours. Mm. But I can't sit there for that block of time. I have to get up and do stuff, whether it's as something as mundane as doing the laundry or mm, yeah. going for a walk or, you know, designing something on the computer because that's sort of like my, you know, um, creativity or whatever it is. That's my guitar. Um, I know that that's going to give me more productivity than sitting there and pushing through trying to write words that aren't coming up naturally. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's, I'm, I'm big under – I love the concept of – um, sounds interesting. And I, I, used to, I used to struggle with this, is do less and achieve more. Mm. And so I remember I used to also talk to when I was back more in corporate and um, and evolving away into sort of this job and whatever, I'd, I'd speak to people and they'd be like, oh, how's, how's work? And I was like, yeah, and I was at the office at seven and, you know, it's pretty full on and stressful. I, you know, was left at like six or, you know, I left at like seven o'clock at night. I'm like, oh, it's solid days. I'm like, oh, how was your day? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I had a red in the morning, had a coffee, um, you know, I worked, then I finished work about five, went to the beach and I'm like, oh, is that, what are you doing? Like, and it was almost like a badge of honor that we were hustling and, and I was like, well, I used yes. to, I mean, sometimes don't be wrong. You, there is requirements for you to do the hard yards and I, and I get that. But also I found myself prior to this, I was similar. I'd be at work at seven or eight to be seen. Mm. Was I more productive? Maybe, maybe not. And I'd hang <laughs> hang a little bit later again to be seen because I was hustling and, you know, doing the right thing and working. And so it was, um, it was sort of also a bit of a, bit of a thing of how, um, how we operate. So it was, um, yeah, it's been an interesting shift around actually. Well, it's probably a better thing to be, to be seen as, um, working a little bit less and being more, um, you know, productive, and giving yourself that time, you know, whether it's that five minutes to go for a walk or literally do some a chore or banking or if, you know, playing guitar and actually increase your productivity. And if we can do less and achieve more. Then why, why the wouldn't hell? we? <laughs> yeah. and it, it took me a while to even get that. Yeah, it was, no, I uh, get it. Oh. Um, and now I'm proud to say, yeah, actually, you know, the other day I worked, you know, four or five hours and then had, you know, time to do this, this and this. Yeah. Um, isn't that great? Yeah. I'm lazy. <laughs> no, no, totally. I, I get it. I'm also from a corporate background and I think that it really drums into you that, yeah, the more time you spend at your desk and the busier you are, then the better you are at your job. Like I remember mm. some of the corporate jobs I was in, nobody took lunch. Like, you know, you'd eat lunch at your desk if you even had time to eat it at your desk. But yeah. I, I used to ask myself, like, what are we doing all day when I get to the end of the day and I haven't actually achieved much at all? 
Yeah. You know, and now that I work on my own clock and my own routine, some days I do feel really lazy, but I look at what I've achieved and I'm like, yeah, hell yeah. What, what does it matter how long yeah, it took yeah. me to do it? Mm. Yeah, it's just flip, yeah. it's just flipping the lens a little bit, I think. Mm, mm. And then, you know, keeping those practices that allow you to be more productive and, and sharper and more focused those periods of time. So it's, you know, we find a lot of people, they'll sort of, you know, work for hours and hours and hours and they won't have much time for the other things. And well, those other things might actually, other practices might actually help you be more productive and give you more time, which is a hard concept. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, that's not that's not our way of, of thinking. It's not logical in our sense of, of operating, is it? So <laughs> it's kind of sh- it's a hard shift to also understand and and even get our bosses and colleagues to understand that maybe by allowing the space for that, you will be more productive. Yeah, uh, I had a um, I had a guest on the show a few episodes back, um, Denise Duffield Thomas. I don't know if you've heard uh, yeah. of her. She does money mindset stuff. Yes, and her latest book is called Chillpreneur. And it is, it's all around that. It's about doing less and achieving more and being able to chill and take time out for yourself makes you a more productive being. And it's just, yeah, it's so in line with what we're talking about. It's really good. Brilliant concept. Yeah. yeah. So, do you know what? If people want to learn more about Vedic meditation, can you tell us a little bit about how... um, how your teachings around it work, like what the process is of learning the art of Vedic meditation? Cool. So the first step is to come along uh, to or log into an information talk. So I find it really important for people to really understand the technique and also listen and engage with me because a lot of the problem with meditation is people have logged in, uh, sorry, have tried everyone thinks meditation is just meditation well mm. no not everyone a lot of people think it's meditation so like oh yeah i've tried i've tried an app or i've tried this guided thing i just i can't stop my mind or i'm I can't not do this. good at it yeah, yeah i'm not good at it i can't meditate there's no yeah. way of controlling my thoughts I'm like well me neither but that's not what it's about yeah and that comes from education so the first piece is to actually have an understanding of um what this technique is all about so i do online talks whether i'll you can so you can log in from anywhere and if that doesn't work for you i actually now do i now offer a 20-minute one-on-one phone chat. So I will actually explain the, the technique, why, how it's different to, you know, the mindfulness and guided apps and those sort of style of techniques, which are quite different to what I teach. They're more about calming you then and there, yeah. while what I'm talk, teaching is more about releasing the old, sort of more going to the root cause of, of what we're experiencing. And so I'd recommend the first step is to um, engage in an intro talk or get on a call and really get understanding of, oh, yeah, and then also – by listening to me, you'll also see if you'll vibe with me. Yeah, that's also it's important, right? Of, yeah, yeah. If you're like, oh, this guy's a bit too rough around the edges <laughs> and he, he swore in between this and I'm like, maybe that's not quite my vibe. That's fine. And then I can probably direct you to someone else or yeah. too shy to say that. There's You can look at other teachers. So that's one, the first piece is to get a proper understanding of, of me or the teacher you're looking at uh, and then the technique and how it's, how it's taught. So most... Um, most of the courses um, that are taught in this way would go either in three or four consecutive sessions or days. Yeah. So I teach mine in uh, three consecutive um, sessions. So the first session is uh, I do them in one-on-one. So that's like where you receive the mantra. Um, and that takes about an, an hour. I take you through some sequencing and um, I give you uh, your first experience of meditating by yourself and we'll talk about it and then the next you go back and you meditate by yourself as your homework and then you come back the following day and that either if it's in a private, it's just you one-on-one or if it's in a group session, it could be you and two people, it could be you and ten people. We all come together and then we meditate together and I'll start weaving in information and knowledge as we go along um, and pretty much make sure you are meditating to get the best results. And then you go away again the next night, meditate by yourself, and then come back the following day. And those sessions go from anywhere between 90 minutes to two hours. Um, and then I'll talk a bit more about stress and what that means. And I'll talk about releasing stress. And I was like, what does that even mean? So I explain that in more detail. And then from there, once you've learnt with me, you then also have access to me moving forward. So, you know, a week down the track, you're like, oh, this isn't working. Or I'm having a bit of release or something's feeling a bit so-so, you can actually contact me and we can jump on a call or whatever it is and, and talk through it. And that is part of the, the course, mm-hmm. um, not like an extra thing. And then also um, from that, 
there are every teacher's different. Some teachers do weekly sessions, some teachers do fortnightly, some monthly, some don't do them at all. Um, I do monthly group sessions so that as anyone who has learned the technique um, can come along, we meditate together and ask questions. And something about being in a group, that's that connection piece, being in a group with people who are in the same headspace as you um, and asking questions and sharing and I might talk about a topic of interest or some knowledge. Um, that's also a nice um, reset that you can be part of once, um, once you, you've learned. So that's sort of the, the basics of how the, the courses and the best route to sort of go through the course and how they should be taught. Yeah. And where, where are you based for people listening so I'm based in Bondi in, in Sydney, okay. um, but I'm pretty – the course itself, the course um, under this Vedic knowledge should always be taught in person. Yeah. Um, there are some, you know, different versions of meditation which can be taught online, which are great, but this specific technique with this mantra should always be taught in person. Um, so that is one part of it. Now, I also teach – like if there's enough people, I've got friends who are living in New York, and I said, look, if you can get, you know – six or seven people keen, I'll fly to New York and teach you guys. Or if you know, I'm from Adelaide, so there's people in Adelaide. I'll, if there's enough people, I'll fly to teach. So that's pretty, in that sense, I'm trying to be pretty fluid. Um, and if there's you know, people that want to learn, I'll head out. Plus, I'll probably, if not, I will probably be able to find a teacher in a regional area if that is a, is a thing. So if people want to find out more about you and your Vedic meditation courses, is there a website they could go to? Yeah, yeah. So I'm mainly active on um, my website or, or Instagram at the moment. So the website is um, www.genoa.com.au. So Genoa is J-A-N-O-A-H. Oh, you uh, got your first name as a URL? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, well, because there's not many really Genoas around there. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> so I got it. Yeah, yeah. And so my email good. is like Genoa at Genoa Van Kieker. And oh. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's quite um, – I was, I was lucky that I got that. Okay, cool. I'll share that in the show notes. What's your Instagram handle for everyone? Uh, yeah, it's at Janoa Van Keekum. So J-A-N-O-A-H-V-A-N-K-E-K-E-M. Okay. <laughs> I'll put that in the show notes too. Um, thank you so much for chatting to me today. I really appreciate it. It's been um, a really interesting conversation and so nice to get to know you a little bit better as well. Yeah, it was great. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.